Welcome to this edition of the Succeed in AP podcast. My name is Jim Conley, and once again, I'm so predictable. I'm kind of boring that way. I'm excited to have our guest here today. One of my near and dear friends, Matt Garcia, is joining us today for the editorial show. Yes! But I was telling Matt that it's not just the editorial show. Today we're going to call it the Garcia Show. <laughs> Matt Garcia, which will be good. Um, quick intro on Matt. So Matt is our portfolio manager here for our team, and I've worked with Matt since 2008 when he started at our company. He started out as a learning technology representative and then quickly ascended through the ranks, got in the marketing role. That's where he and I started working a little bit closer. Um, he's had a great pass there in terms of his successful career in marketing. And then just recently, what would be about maybe a year ago? Uh, about 10 months. 10 months. We're going to round up and say a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, he started on the editorial side, and I'm really proud to be working with Matt. He's one of the rising stars on the editorial side in our business and just a delightful guy. And another thing that you need to know about him is he has the best haircut in the business. Freshly shaved this Freshly morning. Freshly shaved yep. this morning. Nice and shiny. Actually, I don't know if we just became uh, brothers again <laughs> for the thousandth time, but yeah. I shaved my head again today. <laughs> All right. Just for this podcast. So in Perfect. case you know, we're not on video, but we can also... You'll look good when we're doing that. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you for having me. And I know you're an avid listener. Yes. That may not be by choice. (laughs) (laughs) I've been able to learn so much from these podcasts. Uh, You're doing a great job. Well, I appreciate that. And and for everyone who's been on the show, for everybody who suggested show ideas, I've learned a lot too, and this has been a, a great joy. So quick plug, everybody who's been on the show, really appreciate it. And then also, if you're in the audience and you want to see a show... Send that along, and definitely I'll get to that later. But uh, we want to get to the heart of the matter here. So, Matt, in terms of your role here at McGraw-Hill, what do you do? Yep. Like you said, I am the portfolio manager for anatomy and physiology. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our listeners may be familiar with the term sponsoring editor, brand manager. Same thing. Uh, we just call ourselves portfolio managers now. My role is to really manage our list, where we're going to invest some of our budgets, and work with other members of our team on the day-to-day development. Um, So really taking everyone's ideas from what we hear from students, instructors, authors, digital contributors, and really pushing that vision forward. So in the last year, is there like an epiphany that you've had, something major that you've learned? (laughs) I've learned a lot. Leave it at that. We'll go. (laughs) We'll get into some There there are so many things to list, um, but it's been a great learning experience so far for me. Well, right back to you. You've been doing a great job and really excited about your impact on our team and our brands. And really, we start everything that we do with the student first, Mm -hmm. um, obviously instructors well. But um, we want to make sure that our our products are impacting the students in a positive way. And you've done a lot over this past 10 months. Oh, yeah. It's been pretty. It's remarkable. We're going to get to some of those things. (laughs) So when you look at in the last 10 months, year, what have you worked on that has been either significant or exciting to you and why? Well, Jim, as you know, you know you've held a position like mine before. Yep. There are so many things I'm excited about that I just can't talk about yet. Exactly. <laughs> we don't want to give too much away. Uh, but some of the things that have really gotten me excited, though, since I've come on the list, we've been working on what's called the Practice Atlas for Anatomy and Physiology. You've talked about it in previous podcasts and have some articles. Yep. It's one product that has been very well perceived from our customers, students, and instructors. That has just been awesome. The other product, though, are concept overview interactives. Uh, Many of our users may be familiar with, um, we have seven right now, and we have four brand new ones coming this fall. 
That's awesome. And I'm going to get to that in a second because I want to know about those four new ones. You can share that with the audience. But I need to share with you a good story, Matt. So the other day I was uh, walking down the hall and one of my near and dear friends, Amy Reed, who used to be the portfolio manager before you. um, And I've worked with Amy for a long, long time. She's wonderful and fabulous. I know she misses all of us here in AP. But I thought, oh, I finally get to ask Amy the question I've been dying to put her on the spot with. So just out of the blue, I said, hey, Amy, what is your favorite brand in A&P? Because <laughs> you're right. You love all of them equally, right? Yeah. It's like children. You, you don't want to pick a it's favorite. Like, yeah. But I thought now that you're not on the list, I'm going to ask what your favorite is. And just a little teaser for you guys, I'm not going to reveal what it was <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But if you need to, you can always reach out. If you have a relationship with Amy, just send her an email and ask her. Yeah, we miss her. She yeah. did a great job on the list, and I'm really happy to move forward. A lot of the things she was doing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, hat tip to you, Amy, if you're listening. Hopefully you are, but you might you might not be. Maybe. Who knows? Okay, so Matt, new concept overview interactives. Yeah. Four of them are brand new. What are they? So we have um, adaptive immunity, innate immunity, blood pressure, and endocrine system. Love every single one of those. Absolutely. Um, I think they're significant. They're the difficult areas of the course. Uh, people are going to be really excited about those. We actually have uh, some videos that we just released about, I think, one of them. It might be adaptive immunity. Just a quick overview of that, like for four minutes. Um, so I'll get some information out to you, the listening audience, about that. But that's great. How do you assign the concept of reinteractives? Sure. So these are assignable in Connect. Um, in the Connect question bank. So if you're a Connect user, they're with any one of our titles in anatomy and physiology. Now, every single one, we're going to have 11. Every single one of them may not be relevant to every book. You know, for example, maybe human physiology, only a few of them are are assignable in those courses. Uh, But when you go in the question bank, when you're in whichever chapter, so if you're in uh, the muscular system, you'll be able to filter by the concept overview interactives and assign those. They are also assignable in Anatomy and Physiology Revealed. If you're doing custom structure lists, you can check those. They're actually in the animations in Anatomy and Physiology Revealed, so you can assign them there as well. But then also know in the instructor resources, that's where you can pull those up and show them during lecture, share links with students, and really get them to engage and interact. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. So yesterday I was on a web conference with Brock and Rhea. Hi, guys, if you're listening. And we were talking about anatomy and physiology revealed and some of the assets, and we got into the details of your customized structure lists and assigning things through Connect. I really love that we have that kind of variety. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Absolutely. So thank yeah. you for, uh, for doing that for our teams. No problem. Okay, so what are your future plans for additional concept or interactives? Do you have a list that you're going to be coming up with to create, or is there a process that you're going to follow? The feedback on these concept overview interactives is students and instructors love them. Yep. And I think there is a great opportunity to create more. Uh, but the important thing for all of you to know is that when we do create these, we prioritize based on surveys and customer feedback. Uh, So one thing that we'll be doing probably over the next six months or so is we'll be doing more surveys, trying to figure out what should we develop for our future ones. Uh, But we're also looking at, with the seven current live ones, uh, what do we do to make those even better? Um, So there's a lot on the um, development side for these and, and many other things that we're working on. 
So fun story. The reason why students like these so much is the interactive nature, and it's an active experience. So uh, a number of years ago, we were doing some documentation for some student focus groups. So we had roughly about 5,000 students that it went through, gave us feedback, and then we were at the phase, Matt, where we were going to be releasing those. So my role there was to just document what was happening. And I remember real well, there's a gentleman who's roughly, you know, late 50s, going through the nervous physiology example that we had in terms of an interactive. He's doing this gigantic dance. Of course, I came over there and captured it on video, pictures. And I asked him, I said, what, what's going on? He said, I felt like for the first time I learned this to a higher level. It really made sense to me. And the reason why is because I was able to break it, put it back together, break it, put it back together. And to me, I think that's one of the most uh, fascinating aspects of it is the students really own the content then, which is remarkable. And, you know, John said it well. And, you know, thank you, John, for doing that. And he's uh, now, I think, a nurse today, which is great. Yeah. Fun. These are really great to help students really tie those concepts together. Um, and the feedback I keep receiving is we want more. So yeah. now it's just figuring out what is more, yeah. you know, which ones do we do next? Matt's smiling as he says <laughs> that because he usually hears that from me and. I'm representing everybody else in the market. Hey, we want to have more of these. And, and really for us, the issue is more about which ones do you create? Obviously, you have your process and your prioritization, but that's about the time. Mm-hmm. You know, These things are pretty time-intensive to create, but really valuable on the back end. Yep. So, Matt, I want to transition a little bit to the development side. I thought the reason for this show is to talk about some of our assets that we just did, but then also to talk about what is the development process and to give our audience some insight into what we do here at McGraw-Hill. So I'm going to ask you a few questions here quick. Mm-hmm. When you look at the development process, what is your take on that? With the development, you know, we're in this world right now where, um, you know, we've transitioned from a traditional publisher to a publisher now offering uh, digital content, digital learning content. Um, with the development process, it's a difficult part today where we're trying to not only um, develop our books and continue what we've done historically, but how do we create impactful digital learning content that truly improves learning outcomes and isn't just there to be there? Right. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a very tricky thing that we're trying to figure out, and that's really one of the biggest challenges that we face. But another challenge is um, on the developmental process, we're trying to look at sometimes two, three years ahead of what our customers will need. Um, it's really weird to say this, but what do customers need in the year 2021? Oh, my god! Every single day I, when I talk about that, I'm like, 2021, it seems so far away. But right now we're talking two to three years. Um, and that's a difficult thing is trying to predict uh, what the market is going to need a few years from now. Uh, that's a lot of conversations with customers, students, and instructors, uh, and really trying to address that. My memory on this, um, when I was in the roles of editorial way back when, long, long time ago, mm-hmm. that would happen where we would park projects in the long-term bucket. And I remember for a long time, it was either 2019 or 2020. 2021, yep. And so that seemed like it was like miles away. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, we're like getting close where somebody said to me the other day, oh, that title's going to come out in 2020. And I literally stopped because it hit me hard like, holy smokes, 2020 is almost here. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to that, time flies when you're having fun. That's one thing. And then I also want to give a shout out to one of my good buddies. Um, We were talking about... 
you know, timing and how long he's been here and then how long he wants to continue working just in general. And I was joking with him. I said, well, we have to break it down into additions. <laughs> so he gave me his number and I said, oh, that's, you know, really five, five revisions yep. in the old days anyway. So challenges, obviously. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing with the audience? I know it's a little bit slippery, but what is the biggest one for you? I think the biggest challenge that we continue to face is we we receive a lot of feedback from our customers and a lot of um, reviewers, um, survey participants, they have, hey, you guys should be doing this or have you thought about uh, making this change in the book? And one of the most difficult things right now is trying to take all the feedback we get and see where there's consistencies and making sure that some of the feedback isn't a one-off preference of you know, one instructor at one school. Yeah, uh, so being able to take all this feedback, all these surveys, everything we get, and then break that down for our authors, our digital contributors, and trying to figure out the direction that we want to go with all this feedback um, and data as we've become a data-driven company. Exactly. So let's shift gears a little bit to um, contributors. You could mm-hmm. even maybe say authors, uh, even though sometimes it's a little bit different. But when you look at a contributor on one of the projects that you have, what makes a good one? I think what makes a good one is uh, partially what I just mentioned. Uh, you know, when someone comes to us and they want to be contributing to a book or digital products, you know, they sometimes want to do this because they feel that's what their students need. And it, it, we want a contributor that can think big picture. How does everything work for not just your students, but all students that would be receptive of students and instructors nationwide? Uh, That's something that we're really looking for, someone that can think big picture. Um, It's also very important, though, that when you are working with us, you're hitting your deadlines, um, you're receptive to our feedback, uh, you really turn over clean work. Uh, Deadlines, though, one of the biggest things. We're in a world where uh, when we don't hit deadlines, things fall behind. That impacts pub dates. That impacts when uh, customers can start getting into our products. And to be a good contributor, uh, really accepting feedback and hitting your deadlines are things that we really take into consideration. Yeah, I remember real well two people that I really look up to, um, actually three, putting them all together. Uh, Marty Lang, shout out to Marty Lang. Uh, Michael Lang, which they're not related, but then Ed Stanford, uh, they would always say to me over and over again, um, fine on time beats late but great. Mm-hmm. And they would just really kind of work with me on that about you got to make sure you hit your timelines because otherwise you might miss your, your market opportunity. Yeah, and just another thing for being a good contributor is what experience? What do you bring to the table that maybe we don't have right now? Uh, what's your teaching experience? Um, have you done any research? Which is not something that is a must-have as research, but what's your interest? What's your background? Um, you know, what did you get your bachelor's in? Did you do you have a master's, PhD? Uh, you know, what are you interested in, and how can that help really improve some of the products we have? Those are things that we look for. Yeah, and I remember real well, um, Steve Sullivan, if you're listening, had a big shout-out to you here. Steve, but yeah. I remember Steve, when he first started, he was attending a lot of technology conferences. And I remember real well his uh, sales rep, Joe Gordon, called me up the one day and said, you have to get in touch with this guy. He's exactly what you're looking for. And I think to that point, he had an interest in technology and then found every opportunity that he could to really kind of put himself out there and learn more about the technology and uh, what he could do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So with an average project, Matt, how many people are going to work on an average project? Contributors. Contributors. That, that's a great question. Yeah. It's tough. Some of these projects, they can be one person up to five or six or more. Uh, it all depends on um, the work the project entails, um, what kind of deadlines or timeline we're working on. Uh, you know, For example, if we have something come up that we need to get done in three or four months, you know, maybe sometimes we're pulling on multiple people for a project. If we're planning something that will come out maybe fall of next year, Maybe it's only one or two people. Uh, it really varies per project, per work. The thing that we keep in mind, too, though, is everyone that really does author or contribute to our products teaches full-time, has families, everything. Um, so we're really trying to find that work-life balance and making sure that we're not being unreasonable in our asks. Right. Yeah, that was something I always struggled with, too, because of the demands of what the business has. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to get off target with that. And uh, one shout-out, I was going to mention this. I was just thinking about this, Matt, about contributors. I'm reminded of when I first started working with Terry Beidel, who's one of our co-authors on the McKinley A&P brand, awesome, and also uh, Lab Annuals as well. Awesome, awesome instructor. And I remember when I first started working with Terry, she actually just wrote a custom Lab Annual. And that's how she started, and then she did some contributor work for us and did that over a number of years and really kind of earned her stripes and then got the opportunity on the McKinley Project. So mm -hmm. the fun thing about that is being a contributor is a good starting point. Yeah, it's a really great point, Jim. And it's awesome that way. You think about how you know Terry's had a much larger impact on the world of teaching A&P. Mm -hmm. They really all started out with one simple project, which in this case was a, a custom lab manual. Yeah, we receive a lot of requests to... Um, you know, manuscripts to publish someone's book or, you know, hey, are you looking for co-authors on this book? Uh, and, you know, one thing that we do is we value people that do contribute to us now um, and try and um, have them grow on projects once we're able to learn who they are, um, how their work is, can they hit deadlines and everything. Um, and that's a great example of when you want to start getting involved with McGraw-Hill or others, um, you obviously don't shoot for the moon on your very first project. Right. It's always great to start small, uh, figure out what's in it for you as a contributor, uh, what the expectations are from McGraw-Hill or other companies, and really growing from there instead of trying to take on too much in your first project because then that's not good for anyone. Yeah, and even though we're talking about Terry Vital, there are plenty of other examples. I think that's been really our calling card as a development co development shop, if you will. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, really developing our people that come in as contributors, which has been great. Okay, so this is going to be an interesting one to ask you, Matt. So what projects are you working on in general that if people want to get involved, uh, any specific ones you want to mention? Um, you know, I think some projects that I could mention is um, some some case studies or uh, we're always looking for innovation on, on new digital content. Um, so we're looking for even just ideas. You know, maybe we don't have the projects in mind yet of what it will look like, um, you know, but we are looking for some innovation there as accessibility, you know, continues to be something that we take very seriously. We are always looking for contributors to author um, accessibility tags for our products, whether it's in the ebook um, or or different digital products that we have, um, to make sure that we are addressing all that. Um, 
accuracy checking projects, um, even minor projects on helping with PowerPoints, instructors' manuals. Uh, we are always looking for contributors, um, and there's always opportunity that, you know, if we find someone that really think that they can um, have a positive impact on our company development and products, uh, we're always looking to get people involved. That's great. So if somebody's listening to this, they haven't done work or maybe they have, what would the process be for them to get involved in working on one of those projects? Um, you know, one of the, the best ways to start to get involved is always reach out to me. Uh, my email, Matthew, regular spelling, Garcia at mheducation.com. Uh, that's always a great way. I know many of you, you know, Jim has shared his email multiple times on the podcast. You can always reach out to Jim and he can forward your info to me um, if you're not able to reach me. Uh, but another way, going back to something that you mentioned, Jim, when Steve Sullivan yeah. first got involved with McGraw-Hill and the rep reached out to you and said, hey, you know, this guy, he has great ideas, someone you really need to talk to. If there's anyone out there listening that says, you know what, I think... Um, I could really help McGraw-Hill and have some really great ideas, and I'd love to talk to someone. Talk to your local rep. Uh, they can be a really great champion for you um, and someone that can get you a direct line to, to meet, and we can talk from there. Yeah, that's a great point. And your learning technology representative and other staff at McGraw-Hill are really great points of contact for you, not only on the editorial side, but then in general – if you need to get up to speed on implementing things in your course, new product ideas, whatever it might be, it really starts with them, and they're a great resource. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just an interesting anecdote on Steve Sullivan and Jill Gordon. Um, hi, Jill, if you're listening. But Jill had to, I think, call me like three or four times. Yeah, so and she was really persistent about, like, you got to get in touch with Jim. Yeah, and that's the other thing I would mention is whether it's McGraw-Hill or others, uh, when you first reach out or you have these ideas, uh, be patient. Yep. It's not always we can get back to you right away um, or even really consider the idea that you have right away. Sometimes it takes even a few months to have projects start up, to really consider a direction or vision of where we want to go. Yep. Um, so do not be discouraged if you do reach out to us, and it does take a little bit to get back. Yeah. Well, another good one, I love referencing this. I know when she hears this, she's going to love it. Krista Rampalski. I have mentioned this on the podcast in the in the past before, but I met Krista at a HAPS meeting. So it's another way. If you go to HAPS, definitely get on Matt's radar, or my radar, or whatever you need to do to get on the grid. Um, and that applies to any of the other publishers too, but naturally we want you to work with us. Yeah. Um, and but Krista you, was great. And if you are going to any meetings like HAPS, um, even regional meetings, don't be afraid to reach out to us and say, hey, are you going to be at HAPS? Love to have coffee, spend yep. 10 or 15 minutes with you, um, talk to you about what you have. Even if you want to just talk with us about an idea you have to make our products better, not necessarily if you're the one that wants to do the work, right? Um, but we're always looking for feedback, good or bad. Right, absolutely. Um, you know, because for me, the most important thing is to create the content we need to make you and your students successful. Yeah. And I remember, Matt, the conversation I had with Krista Rapolsky, we were walking back from the workshops. And so we had to go through this area. It was really hot, muggy the day, and we had to walk through all this stuff. I'm with a pack of people, and then I just started talking with Krista. She casually mentioned that she had a strong interest in editorial. 
she said, well, what would it ever take to become an author someday? And I said, well, I'll tell you what. The first person I might, you know, seek out here is talk to Mike McKinley, which she then did. And it was a great resource that really started with one conversation walking back from the workshops that really blossomed into more. And if you don't know already, um, Krista is an author on our Fox Human Physiology brand. Mm -hmm. Awesome instructor. Great um, steward of the show, too. Appreciate that, Krista. Um, But that started with one conversation. Yeah. If you know any of our authors, reach out to them. Yeah. Um, Call them. Email them. Ask if they're going to a meeting. And just talk to them about their experience and how they got started. That's one of the most fascinating things of what we do, Jim. Oh, yeah. Is when we talk to authors and hearing their story of the path that they took to eventually become, you know, on these different brands. Yeah. It's always it's very fascinating to hear. Yeah, it, everybody's got a story, and it's amazing. Yep. It's fun. All right, Matt, so speaking of stories, what I want to know is you've been listening to, to this Succeed in AP podcast a number mm-hmm. of times. You have two or three episodes that you love. That you like. These are my favorites. I love all of them, Jim. Amen. We talked about you. Can't, you don't have a favorite kid. You you like all of them. All of them are great. <laughs> no, I, I will give you a few. Okay, great, good. Um, the one that Bill Hoover recently did on the missed questions report in SmartBook. Um, you know, that's one that in my six years on the marketing side, and you've know, been talking about SmartBook. I think sometimes students overlook the data available to them, and sometimes the instructor needs to really be the one to make sure that you know stu- they push students towards this. If students have not looked at the training videos on the reports, this missed questions report in SmartBook, um, you know, one of the adaptive reading experiences in Connect. If I had that when I was a student, to be able to go through, read, answer questions, and then be told this is what I'm struggling with. I mean, think of the possibilities. I would have, oh, it would have saved me so much time instead of searching for, for what I thought I needed to learn. So I, that one just really caught my attention. Well, not to sound like this, but when I was going through undergrad, I would create my own quizzes mm-hmm. and then I would go back into the book and obviously grade them, read what I didn't know, try to shore up what I was deficient in. That sounds a lot like SmartBook, but it would have been a lot quicker than creating my own materials. And I'll say this about that show, too, there, and I love that one. I love Bill's metaphor of the Jenga game. Mm-hmm. To me, that kind of really brought it home. But that particular show, the trajectory of it has been amazing. So in a short period of time, it's one of our top ten episodes. But I think in terms of trajectory, it's the fastest-growing show. Oh. So it, it tells you a lot. So you got a good winner there. Probably because I've listened to it a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've listened to it a hundred myself. <laughs> There's 200 lessons. Wait a minute. Let's track it back. Oh, so what would number two be if you had to pick one? Yeah, number two, um, I really liked when you had Sophia Garcia on to talk about fun ways to engage your AMP class. Uh, what really stood out to me in that podcast was just the different ways she's trying to reach today's students um, and, and really have this teaching style um, that does engage those students today. Yep. Another amazing show. So you picked two winners there. Mm -hmm. Um, That show, just a little sidebar. Great job, Sophia. Thank you for doing it. Um, I loved, loved, loved that show. And that one is actually in our top five. So similar to the one that we have with Bill Hoover, that one had a pretty fast trajectory. But the amazing thing about that show is when we published that, it was kind of during the off time. So that thing has really grown. I think if we revisit that and re-promote it, you know, that one will probably have uh, a longer life and some longer legs in terms of a show. 
mm-hmm. be great. Yeah, and before I mention my last one, you know, just a shout out to everyone that you've had. Uh, you know, so many talented people. And the thing I love about the Succeed in AMP podcast is there's something for everyone. Yeah. Um, even even someone that maybe doesn't even teach AMP or is a student in AMP. I truly believe that there's something for everyone in these. So hats off to you and everyone that you've had on. Thank you, Matt. And I'll give a quick plug here. There's a show that we have. It's our number one show. It's called The Top 10 Tips, How You Can Thrive in Your AMP Course. It's a show that I do with Michael Coat. We've got a piece on that on our uh, webpage. That one, I think the reason why that one's been so successful is I know a few students have gotten onto that. Um, even though we're a podcast designed for the instructor, I know some students have shared that around. And then we also had a specific show with Alicia Nye on a student's perspective in succeeding the AP, another top show for us. It's another one where like students can listen to that and, and learn a lot, but then definitely for the instructors out there, another couple of shows that you can really get a lot out of it and then pass that on to your students yeah you know what my other favorite show is jim yes i want it to would know. be it's the haps live show the lost episodes you know <laughs> and the thing about that show is all of the things that we had to go through was so excited about that show and the story behind it is we inadvertently packed up the podcast recorder sent it back and then it got lost it literally went all over the world i think <laughs> and now we got it back and it's been a little bit anticlimactic. I know if you did uh, visit with us at the booth, there's some of the audio content that came out great. Um, I'm going back through and re-engineering some of that so that we can republish more of the lost tapes. So maybe a kind of a theme for us, Matt. But I appreciate that show. And I think the, the part of that show that I really like a lot, um, aside from every aspect of it, is when Terry Martin talked about terminology. Just a hot topic today. Um, very important, obviously, for instructors out there, but for students specifically. And he did a great job talking about that, which is fun. All right, Matt, I know you've been gracious with your time, so I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you one last question. Okay. And this is a tough one. What do you see for the segment of higher education? What's your vision for it for the next five to ten years? Ooh, tough question. It is. A very tough question. I think digital is not going away. Right. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more online courses. Um, you know, Many of you have probably experienced administration trying to push more of your courses online um, just due to the fact of space, time, money, etc. Um, I, I, I do think we'll see more of a push for online. Um, but I do want to be very clear that textbooks are not going away. Um, you know, there's a... We have a new rental model this year for all of our new editions that came out. Uh, we are still going to continue printing hardcover books, loose leaf versions, and, and other alternate versions, uh, lab manuals. And I, I think sometimes there's that misconception from our customers of or some of the noise over the last five years or so of what's been happening and, you know, hey, McGraw-Hill's doing much more digital. I think it's important to know that, um, like, we're staying true to our roots in a sense that, oh, yeah. I mean, books aren't going away. We're continuing to develop, invest, um, and find new talent. Um, so just in terms of, I think we're going to see a big mixture of print and digital moving forward. I'm also curious, and this is just, you know, an opinion that I have is maybe how in the future schools change what their specialties are. Um, Absolutely. And, um, you know, just a, a little bit more focus um, instead of trying to be more broad as, we do move forward in higher education. 
yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that ripples through the market. You know, I do agree with you that focusing on certain niche areas, institutions are going to have to really struggle or wrestle with that. Do we do that? Do we be more broad? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in some ways, a lot of the institutions have kind of erred on the side of let's get more students into our our uh, portfolio in terms of what we bring into the, the school. It might focus, it might specialize a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Which Absolutely. Would be, it's a little bit tougher to live that way, but you know, you build better brand loyalty and all those things. So it'd be interesting to see how that works. Well, Matt, I want to thank you uh, for being on the show today and also for being, you know, such a great supporter of the Succeed A&P and all the guidance that you've provided to me, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. Sorry about that. And just for supporting what we're doing here on the Succeed A&P, but then generally in anatomy and physiology. You hear me say this to you all the time. You are the best. I appreciate that. You're the best, Jim. Hey, nice haircut. You have a great haircut. <laughs> is there anything that you want to say to the audience before we cut out? Uh, really, the last thing I will say is we appreciate all the feedback that you give us. Um, I know a lot of times we hit you with emails and surveys and reviews. Just know that everything we ask you to do is looked at. It's looked at by our authors. It's looked at by me. It's looked at product developers, which are other members that I work with on the development side. It's looked at by our director of digital content, Michael yep. Coat. Everything we ask you to do is reviewed, digested, and it really helps us make decisions of what to do next. Um, so please, if you see emails from us, um, if you see requests to submit feedback, if you have the time, do it because it does help us. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of times, too, we're going to be sending emails out, like we just did one to all of our Connect users that are students. We sent them a note that gave them the top 10 tips to succeed in the AMP course. Um, we haven't notified all the instructors about that, but um, that's something that we did kind of as a service. So I definitely agree, Matt. Open the emails, and then you guys are just awesome over there on the editorial side of managing all that content and the data and um, furthering the conversation. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, and if you're doing anything unique or innovative at your school, let us know. I, I'm i looking for different places to visit, uh, labs, lecture, and, and just see maybe what you're doing different and what could be a benefit to really share with the, the nation. So Yeah, Matt, just put a plug in there if it's a nice, warm location in winter. Yes, <laughs> you know, being located <laughs> in, that. in Dubuque, Iowa, sometimes we don't like those below zero temps and negative 20 wind chills. So Florida, if you're free in March, let me know. <laughs> they will be. Yeah, Florida's a great place in March. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Succeed in AP podcast. We do appreciate your listening. And if you do have show ideas, send those along to me. Uh, my email address is james.connely at mheducation.com. Also, I have a favor to ask of you. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're consuming your podcasts, And if you would be so kind as to leave us a review, that helps us get discovered on all those media outlets, and we really appreciate it, especially if it's a four- or five-star review. And if you want to leave some comments, we really, really appreciate those. And uh, just want to thank you guys for listening today, and I hope you have a good rest of your weekend, and we'll be talking to you next week.